You're listening to Once, episode 260, A Bitter Draft. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And we are ready to discuss this episode, A Bitter Draft. Now, before we get into this discussion, I want to let you know right up front, if you've been wanting to get one of those Once Upon a Time t-shirts that have really cool designs, say really cool or funny things or anything like that, they are on sale right now. If you're listening to this podcast very quickly after we release it, go to oncepodcast.com slash t-shirts and you can save 40% off any of the shirts there. Really great opportunity. If you get one of those shirts Tweet us a photo or email us a photo of you wearing your favorite Once Upon a Time t-shirt. That's at oncepodcast.com slash t-shirts. Great designs over there from our friends at Tee Public and fans as well. Oncepodcast.com slash t-shirts. Let's start our discussion in the past, as we usually do. Uh, <laughs> so the, the whole story of this is kind of about Count of Monte Cristo, although I'm glad we didn't really get his full story. This first flashback does take place in the middle of the Count of Monte Cristo story. Which would be his told story? Yes, because this is before (laughs) his story becomes untold. But the story in the book is the told story, but it's kind of the book that contains the untold stories but did his story not end? I guess Regina interrupted it. Oh, uh, you have discovered the whole. Mm-hmm. Because I was, re- I I've said this before. I've, I'm willing to accept that these stories have all happened as we read them in literature and fairy tales and such. But uh, what the untold stories are, are the sequels to everything. Because this episode does mention sequels. But then... Yeah. Count of Monte Cristo's story has not finished yet, as we know it. It finished. Henry said it finished. It didn't finish the way it was supposed to, or it shouldn't have finished that way. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that blows that theory out of the water. And and whether we talk about it now or later, I have a little bit to say about that book and how that's working. We'll get to that, yeah, in a moment. Now, the invitations are amazingly specific. We get the screenshot of the invitations, and it does mention the Wilmore estate is where this uh, ball would be held. And on the date being Midsummer's Eve. Well, because you want less, right? You will more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a night that you will truly remember. And the Baron is listed in the credits as Danglers, which also Melanie pointed out that that's who she suspected was the Baron, even though in the episode he's never called Danglers, we know who he is based on the credits. And, and that's a character familiar to people familiar with the Count of Monte Cristo. Yes, and if you okay. want to get familiar with the Count of Monte Cristo and has some guidance while you read the book, then check out our friend Heather Ordover's podcast, Craft Lit Podcast. Remember, Heather was recently a guest on One's podcast, and they're going through the book right now. Well, maybe not right now by the time you're listening to this, but still, you can go back and check out her discussions on the book. 
And that's at craftlit.com if you want to check out our friend over there. I know you don't want to go here, Jeremy, but I think it is worth mentioning. Okay. This is supposedly fictional 19th century France. Uh, I disagree. Why? Because reasons. Because it was never stated to be such. Or France at all. Well, the story of the Count of Monte Cristo takes place in France. Fine. Could have been the Enchanted Forest. There are a lot of stories that were supposed to take place in one place that actually took place in the Enchanted Forest. You know, in the good old days. And I would be happy with that. But one of the writers did respond to some tweet saying that this is fictional 19th century France. And apparently Regina can get there. Why? There are supposed to... (laughs) That was the point of the Enchanted Forest! (laughs) It was supposed to contain a version of all of these stories in a way that made it somewhat plausible. Plausible enough for us to suspend our disbelief and believe that all these stories were real. There is a land where every fairy tale character you know is trapped. Well, something like that. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be... Like, the story we know, it doesn't actually have to have taken place there or at that time. Like, even the ones that they've used fictional London for, it didn't have to be London. Mm -hmm. Like, our version of the story in our books became London because the location passed down through the generations didn't make any sense. But it could have been, like, even Peter Pan, it all could have happened in the Enchanted Forest in one way or another. None of this fictional place stuff ever had to happen yeah i would have rather it be the story takes place in enchanted forest which i like that option less than the option i would prefer is that the stories do take place in our land Mm -hmm. but then you have to explain well what about that barrier that the curse broke how did they get back and forth but i'd rather they figure out a legitimate good consistent Mm -hmm. way to explain that like with bay Mm-hmm. coming into our world, I'd much rather see that he went into actual London, yeah, not fictional London, and then yeah. to recognize that, well, that's Peter Pan's power also, is that he can travel between realms, and he went from Neverland to actual London, and mm-hmm. something similar here, Count of Monte Cristo being from actual France, but then again, Beauty and the Beast story is supposed to take place in France. So where do you draw the line? Well, and Robin Hood, that was England. Yeah. But the Sherwood Forest, for the purposes of the show, that all really happened in the Enchanted Forest. And that worked. Nobody had a problem with that. That's very (laughs) true. Yeah, very good point. So, yeah, maybe it's stuff it all in the Enchanted Forest or or realm... Is that a hashtag? <laughs> <laughs> or realm connected to the Enchanted Forest, yes. like we've seen Wonderland or the Land Without Color or some of these other lands that are other magical realms connected and travelable through the hat. Yeah. So anyway, that was my realm rant. That should be a hashtag because it's probably going to come up again. Realm rant and savior shakes. <laughs> Hashtags that we've created this season thus far. (laughs) One per episode, apparently. Skipping forward a little bit in the past, when Regina is practicing the sword fighting there, uh, I think that's setting us up for a couple things. Oh, well, yes. Um, First of all, to see Regina ever use a sword, which she's never done before in the history of the show that I know of. 
I feel like there's some other instance we saw her using a sword. She was the evil queen. She has people who do that. And she yeah. also has fireballs. Yeah. True. I, I feel like there's one like tiny random little instance, but it wasn't Where a she, full sword fight. Like she picked up a sword. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obvi- I mean, it's okay. It's just, you know, season six. <laughs> well, they, they, I think they're setting up the sword fight we see later in the episode, as mm-hmm. well as setting up our expectations that it's some form of Regina under the hood. Now, we've yeah. got a really, really good theory on that that one of our listeners sent in that we'll get into later on when we're talking about the hooded scene. Okay. But what I loved seeing in this scene is... The Agraba Viper mentioned again. Although this time they called it the Agraban Viper with the oh, end did they? there at the end. Yeah, whereas before they referred to it as the Agraba Viper. Maybe somewhere along the way they decided to change their grammar a little bit. Then they realized it wasn't a variety of coffee and they just decided to say it differently. <laughs> New from Storybrook, Agraban Bland. <laughs> bland? <laughs> Shows you what I think about coffee. Freudian slip, or should I say Jiminy Cricket slip. Yeah. And this gave us number one of the awkward scenes from this episode, which they just have to repeat again, because when they can emit that kind of gross reaction from us, why not do it again? Later? <laughs> yes. Yes. They were in full retcon mode. <laughs> like, let's put this weird stuff between Rumpelstiltskin and Regina. Mm-mm. Nope. I. <sighs> yeah, we've never seen, other than with Cora, we've never seen Rumple be a player like that, <laughs> either in his pre Dark One state or post Dark One state. Sure, he's been all show offy and everything. Right. But he's never done that kind of thing with anyone other than Cora. And it yeah. seems like, and with Belle even, and when it was with Belle, true love, because that's how the kiss could have worked in the episode Skin Deep. It had to be true love's kiss, which is right. a neutral thing. So even with Belle, though, he wasn't coming across as this player. It was coming across as true love, not s- some kind of unfounded passion. Here, eh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were funny together. He was... If he's going to do it, he's hilarious doing it and Regina kissing at him in the air. Now, there's, that was all funny, but weird. There's a screenshot I grabbed from this that you have to see. It'll be in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 260. But it's a momentary eye roll from <laughs> Regina or Evil Queen while she's being kissed by Rumple, And it, it's just a... a Beautiful little split second eye roll that go to the show notes, oncepodcast.com slash 260 to see that. (laughs) So they had a little bit of fancy footwork to do putting this story into the middle of history that we already know, because as we know from the past and as Rumpel stated, he needs the Charmings alive, but Regina's trying to kill them through the count. So, yes, Rumpel could just go kill the Count and stop her, but she put a protection spell on him. The problem with that is Rumpel has tried to kill a lot of people, and a whole lot of our plots have revolved around one person trying to kill somebody and everybody else trying to stop them. If these protection spells are that easy, 
then, for example, they could have just put a protection spell on Henry when they thought Rumpel was after him. Any of the times Rumpel was after him or Peter Pan or anybody that you could put a protection spell. Like, why would you not just put a protection spell on everybody that you care about? so that nobody can hurt them. Or if it has to be a specific one, like as soon as you know of a villain, you're like, oh, everybody, it's our inoculation time. Come get your protection spell. They won't be able to hurt you. It'll be cool. That's the sort of like in sci-fi terms, too much technology means all your plots don't work. In fantasy, too much magic means all your plots don't work. Yeah, and as Jared points out, I wonder when the evil queen put the protection spell on the count. It really feels like... It's a bit too contrived of a story. I, I understand what they have to try and work with sometimes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode just as a casual viewer for what it was. But it's sort of like if you think very far and you see it in the context of the whole series, it's kind of – there's yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone pretends that they could be a writer. And what I would have done a little bit differently with this whole thing is not had killing – uh, him as a motive at all for Rumple, but just Rumple saying, I don't like loose ends lying around. So instead of killing him, he decides you need to go to the land of untold stories. And this is how I'm going to get you there. They could have done the whole thing without the protection spell bit on it. Maybe, except that Rumple wasn't too afraid to kill people. So if someone was in his way, he'd probably mm, just true. kill him. And why involve Charlotte? Like there's no reason to do that unless he needs to get to him without just threatening him. Yeah. And speaking of Charlotte, Edmund with Charlotte, really creepy, dude. <laughs> like every time he's around, he's just like, your eyes. And they're all just like, oh, that's so sweet. You're so nice. Your eyes again. <laughs> I can't even pour you wine. <laughs> Guys, do not apply Edmund's how to win the heart of the lady that looks the most like the lady you love most techniques. GM. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they wanted to go the direction of she is actually his daughter. I've heard people saying that and I don't understand that a bit. Like what? He had a child when he was two? Well, yeah, the age, <laughs> the age thing would not work. And maybe that's why they decided to go this route of she looks like. I get that it's once upon a time and everybody's the same age regardless of where they are generationally. But let's maybe have some restraint until there's some reason to believe that someone went through some kind of a, a freeze or a curse or a portal or something. Like, just calm down. Not everybody is somebody's father or daughter or something even though they're the same age <laughs> for melanie she said all i could think of was harry potter and how everyone always told harry that he had his mother's eyes i was half expecting charlotte to be related to mercedes that's edmund's fiance at the beginning of the book since it seems just about everyone is related in once upon a time and i feel like they set it up so much for that yeah but they had to change it because maybe they realized hey guys She's like the same age as him. And we kind of want to get this idea going that he and her were living happily ever after inside the land of untold stories. And right. that's kind of weird if she's his daughter and the ages don't match up. So so let's take it this different direction that she just looks kind of like the woman he loved most. Yeah. Like if they had even had one scene where we saw his fiance, 
And then there was a striking resemblance between Charlotte and his fiance. He wouldn't have had to be like, your eyes. He could have, we, we would have understood like, oh, he's really thinking about his fiance when he looks at her. So, of course, he's not going to want to kill her. And as the French saying, and pardon my French here, je ne sais quoi, that Rumpel mentioned is a phrase that's actually <laughs> somewhat common to say in English, and that's why they used it here. But it's it's uh, an indescribable or definite something. And, and that's what Rumpel was basically saying is, yeah, there's a, a, a something kind of like your fiancé, right? <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that was their attempt to dispel any rumors that there was something deeper than a reminder. Yeah. I loved... Thank you for that clarification. It doesn't really stop all the rabbit trails of thought, but it kind of helps clarify things a little bit. Mm -hmm. I loved the key to the land of untold stories. Like I mentioned in initial reactions, it reminds me of the sci-fi miniseries The Lost Room. But I noticed this time how Rumpel actually uses the key, that he just waves it in front of the door instead of actually sticking it in the lock to open the door. But it does still open a doorway into the land of untold stories where all stories come to a screeching halt. I wonder what that screech sounds like. Probably not like Saved by the Bell. It'd be like if you had a record of like, say, the soundtrack from Beauty and the Beast and you just, you scratch it. It sounds like that. (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't know what a record is, kids, go Google it. Or Saved by the Bell, for that matter. Might as well Google (laughs) that, too, because they're kind of around the same era. (laughs) Give or take. (laughs) Rumpel's having the key that goes to the land of untold stories makes me wonder, how accessible is this to everyone else? And is there some way that everyone can escape to this land? Or is it something like they pay... A, a literal gatekeeper in order to get to this land or something mm. like that. You know, it's it's the land of untold stories. It's a refuge for people wanting to escape. And so there's a guy who's like, yeah, I can get you somewhere where you can escape your story. I have a question. Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> they were nowhere to be seen in this episode, but what's your question? Um, That's a story, right? Yeah. Was it not being told slash playing out in the land of untold stories maybe maybe but maybe not because i think there could be some part of the jekyll and hyde story that's yet to play out something that maybe they only have a limited time of being split apart like that and something horrible will happen or maybe they just end up merged back together and being in the land of untold stories is what allows them to be split apart at all. Eh, I don't think he'd have left if that were the case. Yeah. He was the one who left on purpose. But then again, it was in the land of untold stories where Dr. Jekyll made that special thing that allowed them to be split apart. Yep. And that's what Regina used in order to split herself apart from the evil queen. It feels very like a story being told. Maybe he's exempt because... He was in control of it. And speaking of being in control of it, you know the, who has the most control in their lives? The people who are the true heroes? Yes, they are the heroes for 
our podcast. They have their lives together. They're cool people. They got it in control. They got the keys to the land of untold stories. They got the keys to the life. They got the keys, the secrets to the universe. And because they are so awesome and such great heroes, they also support the podcast. And they are so, the keys to this podcast. <laughs> yes. And I want to thank for this episode, Lisa Slack, David Newland, and our 28 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much. You are heroes to the podcast. You keep the podcast running episode after episode. You enable us to do things, to get the screenshots for the episodes, to pay for the help that we need to keep the podcast going. Thank you. Thank you very much for your kind support. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast as well, and maybe have the keys to the universe because of being a hero, no guarantee though, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. You get access to our bloopers, which I've got a bunch of bloopers that will be published very soon from our past several episodes. And they're fun, funny bloopers that you can enjoy because you're a hero. We edit them together so you can laugh at our hilarious mistakes. So to become a hero, get access to our bloopers and know that you have the keys to the universe. Then go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. And might I add that if people who support the podcast are heroes, then if you don't support the podcast, maybe you're not a hero after all. Maybe there's a little spot of darkness in which case go to oncepodcast.com slash villain and you can set your <laughs> options there wait but that would turn him into a hero yeah it, it redirects them oh wait i wasn't supposed to tell him that we're trying to help <laughs> <laughs> we just want you to have a happy ending moving on to the present when the evil queen took Zelina to regina's vault the evil queen mentioned that the dragon should have known better than to get in her way which kind of makes it sound like the dragon is dead. But also, I wonder if he's going to turn out to be actually dead. But maybe Evil Queen never met the real him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody's met the real him. Nobody. Or will he come back in some kind of triumphant return? Oh, my. <laughs> Perhaps not that grandiose. But does it matter? I really That's the don't problem. want it to. Yeah, like he appeared again and he was still pretty irrelevant. It was just kind of further confirmation that last year was the new season two hmm. or season two the way it should have ended or something. The funny thing is almost the first thing they said in this episode, or at least in Storybrook time, was blood magic. And this time I knew it was coming. As they were headed for the vault, I was like, let me guess. Regina used blood magic and so Evil Queen can get right through it. Well, blood magic, realistically, does make a lot of sense. Well, it's become a thing, but the thing is, if you can do a protection spell that doesn't use blood magic, why use it? They've had trouble every single time they've used blood magic. True. Very as far true. as I can tell. The Evil Queen seems to need more magic than she has. We've seen her poof to different places, and she said it took all of the dragon's magic in order to get into Storybrooke. Right. And she needs more magic. So it seems like her magical abilities are very limited. Did she just need it, though? Regina said the only way to put the protection spell around the town was to use ingredients from her vault. Is that all she did? Or did she also need it for other things? Maybe both. Maybe both. Yeah. She might have more planned. Good thing she didn't use blood magic on the town line. 
<laughs> yeah, you got to be very careful with that blood magic. Meanwhile, back in the happy part of town. <laughs> you mean not the graveyard? <laughs> yeah. Regina and Henry are outside the diner, and I, I got this wrong in initial reactions. I said the outside of the book says Once Upon a Time, part two. It actually says volume, volume two. two, which makes a lot more sense for it to say volume two if it's a collection of different stories mm-hmm. instead of a continuation of other stories. So it's not so much of that sequel thing. But there's something important, I think, from this scene. Henry mentions that this time Regina gets to be the hero. It's your turn to be the hero. (laughs) Hashtag Lego movie. (laughs) And I think that might be a point in this season. In fact, uh, Kelsey from Louisiana sent this feedback saying, words used in this week's episode brought me to believe that Regina is the savior. I don't remember exactly, but Regina used words like save, and then she literally saved Snow and Charming. She also spoke to all of the people from the Land of Untold Stories in the beginning of the episode, which would normally be a charming thing to do. If Regina is a savior and Jafar is right about saviors not getting happy endings, then this could explain why Regina hasn't had her happy ending yet. Hmm. Now, inside the diner... Where they all showed up. I expected people to wander out of the woods each week for story of the week, which kind of happened, let's be honest. Well, but, and this isn't necessarily all of them. No, it's not. But I was impressed that they actually did hire the actors this week <laughs> and they all showed up. Now, among the people who showed up, I took several screenshots to try and see who are all of the characters. Now, one character is interestingly credited among all of the other extras, and that was Thomas Gazier as Musketeer Man. Mm-hmm. And now there were some a couple other side characters that were credited as well, but not other characters there in the diner. But of the characters that I saw in the diner, you see the three Musketeers. There are several guys with harpoons, which makes me think of Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. There are cowboys. There are Uh, Some ladies that look like gypsies, maybe. Uh, Of course, plenty of steampunk going on. There's someone that looks kind of like a dignitary of some sort. Some other guy that almost looks like Napoleon, which could make sense with the Monte Cristo sort of thinking. Now, how many of these characters will actually turn into stories we'll explore with Once Upon a Time? I don't know. Three Musketeers, I could see that happening. Do we think Napoleon... Like, why? I'm going to say... I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I feel like he'd just be declaring war or he'd be totally fine with the story playing out. Also, he's a real character slash person from history. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe more people from fictional France, he said glumly. When Belle came into the diner and they started talking... She said, we're not together at the moment. Now, that phrase, at the moment, I think sounds like she's allowing for the possibility that she and Rumpel will reconcile, Rumpel will change, and they will be back together again. But, Maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know if that was just to avoid hate mail. I don't know what that was. Like, she sounded pretty sure when she walked through the doorway to come back to Storybrooke. But, you know, that's fine. 
I don't know. I don't know where that whole story is or how much longer it needs to flip-flop. But yeah, I agree. That's what it sounded like. And speaking of flip-flop, Emma seems to be kind of flip-flopping in her trustworthiness. But uh, as Hook says, Being vulnerable isn't exactly a strong suit. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Not strong for her. So Emma goes to that session with Archie and good job, Emma, for finally getting help. Because when they were in the diner and she said she was going to have a session with Archie, I thought, Emma, please stop lying to Hook. Yeah. And then she actually went to her session. So I thought, oh, well, good job, Emma, finally getting some help and finally being a little vulnerable, even though that's not your strong suit. Yeah. Here again, she went and she talked about the vision. She talked about seeing herself die. And that's... That's great, but that was kind of where the great stopped for me. Archie, who we were just talking about how much we like him and the things he says and does and all that stuff, says the more you talk about it, the less it'll haunt you. Yeah, maybe, Archie, but you've lived in this town too. Shouldn't you be at least a little bit concerned about this and actually encourage her to talk about someone else who might have some knowledge of magical things like Regina or... Someone who might be able to help. He did kind of encourage her to talk to her family. That's fine. But then then it was Emma's turn to be weird. And she just wanted him to help her figure out how to win this fight. Emma, that's not Archie's department. Figuring out what's going on with visions and tremors. If you think it's more than a psychological problem, then Archie's not where you should be. And you shouldn't be getting frustrated with him for not being able to help you win a fight that hasn't happened. That doesn't make any sense. Unless, here's one of those really cool theories. All the theories we receive. Maybe it's Archie and the the Hood. (laughs) That sounds like a great name for a band. (laughs) Archie and the Hood. I mean, just a scene before this. Hook said, first he said the crocodile, then he said the cricket. Maybe the villain for this year, the one to fear, is the cricket. Oh, we've already had cricket game. But here's this theory from Jessica Frey saying, it's possible that if we get a season seven, that Emma isn't the savior. Archie said this episode, something about Emma learning to be something apart from the savior. I know in the show, Chuck, Chuck was the intersect, by the way, one of my favorite TV shows. Chuck was the intersect for the entire show until the last season. This is why I was thinking of this possible outcome. So maybe Emma doesn't die, but the savior dies and gets passed on. Maybe that's why when it was said that happy endings could be taken away, that it's because Emma isn't the savior anymore, but Emma herself wasn't killed in the vision, but the savior. And are you ready for an even crazier theory? Oh, I'm ready. From Gareth saying, first of all, I don't trust the vision. As others have pointed out, the Oracle seems suspicious. I don't think it's Regina. I think we are meant to think it is. Now, let me side note here. When Emma is having this first session with Archie, she says the person in the vision is strong, really strong. Mm -hmm. That's something I think that's important here. Uh, Gareth continues, though, saying, I don't think it's Regina. I think we are meant to think it is. The Oracle said every hero has their villain. Since Emma is not from a known fairy tale, we don't know her traditional villain. The question is, who would Emma's ultimate nemesis be? 
When I consider this, especially in the context of the current season, I have to conclude that Emma's ultimate opponent would be herself. Hence, I think the battle will be Emma fighting with herself. Emma is her own worst enemy. Her superpower is detecting lying, and yet she continues to lie to everyone around her. (laughs) Given that this whole season seems to be about people dealing with internal conflict, I think this makes total sense. If it is Emma fighting herself, then that would also shift how we understand the Oracle's prophecy. If I mean, I guess if we're talking like somehow Emma is exposed to the potion and part of her splits off, mm-hmm. that would be the only way I can see it happening. But yeah. was the cloaked figure not much taller than Emma, which doesn't fit Regina or Emma? Yeah, those are certain details I think we're I'm not supposed to notice. I'm glad that we've got notice. three possibilities <laughs> for who's in the cloak, and they consist of the person... The other person in the battle and one other person. We have Emma and Regina and together they make like four people, possibly in our theories. But I mean, I feel like, I don't, you know, the thing that throws me is the stupid cloak. I don't understand the cloak and I don't know what bit of foreshadowing that might have already happened gets us to somebody wearing a stinking cloak. How convenient for a vision that we can't see the face. It's forehead shattering. It's Oh, gosh. Yeah, it is. Because I, I actually still think Hyde makes the most sense if we're going to emphasize the strong part. And he seems to be keyed in on the whole savior thing. I don't know how that ties in with Jafar. There, there are a lot of threads there that feel like they might interconnect, and I just can't tell if they do yet. Well, here are a couple theories to build on top of what Gareth suggested. And I see in the chat room right now, several of them are saying I completely agree with that theory or that they like the theory. What if what the Oracle said, regardless of who the Oracle actually is, if it's maybe Jafar or if it is truly the Oracle, but what if what they said is true and Emma does die? Well, if Emma is split, then Emma dying means the other Emma doesn't die. So... It may be one, I know this is so weird, it may be one Emma dies. I think the Emma that dies is the darkness side of her, maybe even partially the savior side, going back to Jessica's theory. I think the person in the hood might actually be Emma, the Emma we actually like and the Emma we want to continue living. Why is she wearing the hood? For dramatic effect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe... She's not wearing her red leather jacket in the vision. And now here's another theory on top of this. What if Emma has been split this whole time? And so there are actually two Emmas. I know this sounds ridiculous. How, when, and why? I don't know. But there, (laughs) there are other movies. I won't say the name of them so it doesn't give away a major plot point. But there are other movies that play along this theme where you see a character all doing this, but you don't realize that you have been watching the fake or that uh, that character was the clone or the person you were rooting for was actually the bad guy and you didn't realize it until the very end and they didn't realize it until the very end mm-hmm. as well. I mean, all kinds of movies use this as a technique, the reveal at the very end, and then you want to go back and rewatch the movie and realize, oh yeah, okay, that lines up, that lines up, that lines up, and you've been cheering for the wrong person. Mm-hmm but doing so without recognizing that they were the wrong person. 
So in either case, whatever happened or anything, I'm now, I really like Gareth's theory. I think that it's one Emma battling another Emma. Maybe. I kind of like it. So the Emma that dies is not the Emma we know and love. It's the other one. So it makes perfect sense that they die. Because after all, when you see the battle, you can't really tell which one. Like If it wasn't for the faces, if you were seeing only two masked characters fighting or two people who look exactly the same, you can't tell which one is the good one and which one is the bad one. When Emma says they were strong, they were really strong, mm-hmm. is that she's saying the the hooded one was really strong or was the one who got the sword really strong? And whose perspective is Emma seeing? Is Emma seeing the perspective of the one who gets stabbed by the sword or is Emma seeing the perspective of the one who is hooded? And oh I know gosh. it's it's third oh person gosh. view. <laughs> I'm racking my brain trying to think back to a moment that it could have happened, like uh, even though it probably wasn't planned when it was shot, but like the the Zelina Marion thing, mm-hmm. it worked. So when when could Emma have been split and like the good one put somewhere else? But then why she doesn't. It, uh, I don't know. I don't think it makes any sense. There's it, not, not supposed to be anything like that in Emma to split. Emma, well, remember, she has the heart with the greatest potential for darkness. Had. <laughs> yeah, has. That's, that's right. That was all transferred to Lily, and, you know, Lily doesn't get out much anymore. But Emma, and this is a stretch here, Emma was there when Regina split herself. What if some of that potion spilled on Emma? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Emma went, I must hide myself and let other me go take my place. And she has amnesia for some reason. I really don't know how to break it to her that she's not the real me. So I'm going to just let this play out. I'm just going to go wear a cloak and I'm going to scurry about in the shadows of Storybrooke and watch other me have my life. Nope. Don't think so. So that's your super crazy theory that could turn out to be true. (laughs) Some version of that. With this show now, I almost feel like no matter how crazy the theory, as far as as long as it connects dots that are actually in the show, it's probably true. Maybe Rumpelstiltskin needed to get something done and he had a vial of magic. Like, you know, and some squid ink. And some special sand, blood magic, <laughs> sparkly dirt stuff happened. Maybe, maybe the cloak is the thing. Maybe there's nobody in the cloak. It's just a dark one cloak. She's battling her clothing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like you do. When they break into the count's room, Regina, I think, asks a question that uh, that audience can answer. Do you really want to hear about every time I tried to kill you? No, (laughs) we don't. I am finished with seeing Regina try to kill Snow White and Prince Charming in flashbacks. How many times have we seen that? How many different ways? Yes, I get that she was relentless in trying to kill Snow White and Prince Charming. I'm really bad at it. But it kind of feels like this is the ditto plot device. It's like, okay, we need to explain this plot somehow. Let's fit it into Regina trying to kill Snow and Charming again. 
It's rinse and repeat, copy and paste. A little bit. It was still kind of nice to see the past again. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. It is fun still, and I don't mean to come across as being overly critical on the show. Even though they, oh, you're okay. <laughs> you have my blessing. No, they. Yeah, I mean, every time they do it, they kind of risk damaging what they've already done. So there is that side of it. We've already talked about that. <laughs> as Jacqueline said, "Oh my gosh, enough already." <laughs> when regina then goes to find edmund at the crash dirigible (laughs) we see that um (laughs) the count of monte cristo is really good at sword throwing and so is Mm -hmm. regina Mm -hmm. i mean everyone on the show is apparently really good at sword throwing which kind of defies the laws of physics yeah sure does when they crash into the town line and Zelina shows up. Which um, I'd like to see several people get into a car like that and just drive straight at a brick wall and see what happens. That's not – that accident should have been worse. You could say they weren't going that fast. And I, I would just like to throw this out there. It hasn't exactly been peaceful in Storybrooke. Every single time, practically, that they've tried to leave the town, there's been something wrong at the town line. Don't you think at this point it would just be standard procedure to pull up to the line and, like, feel around and throw something across, maybe send a dwarf over and just see what happens before you go charging through it in a car? Well, the last time they crossed the town line was when they went to find Henry, and they crossed the line with no problems. So... That it's would be reasonable one for out them. of a hundred. Yeah, it's reasonable to assume, I think. But then again, if Evil Queen could exist outside of Storybrooke and float around as a smokes monster in New York City, then why couldn't she follow Charming and Snow out? Yes, yes. Maybe she wouldn't be able to get back in. Zelina is tricky here. Think about this. Zelina is cunning, She's very cunning. She's good at planning things. She's good at deception. Think sort of, of good. Well. She kind of blurted for a second. Think of the times we've seen her disguised as someone else and very well playing the part of deception. We've seen her do that with Marion. We've seen her disguise herself as Ariel and play that part. Um. She is really good at deception and cunning. And she's absolutely wicked. So... I, I really want to think, and this is what I do think, is that she is lying to Regina to protect her alliance with the evil queen to protect Regina. She's kind mm. of playing the part of a double agent here without anyone knowing that she's a double agent, except you, the viewer. Maybe. It could be. I would hope so. If we're really going to hang our hats, however pointed they may be, on character development this year there needs to be some loyalty despite hurt that would be the next logical step i think Mm -hmm. she might be a bit torn but she must understand by this point that the evil queen's way is not going to be the best even for her own interests long term and by the way that is not exactly how the original curse worked on the town line and i quote sort of Partial quote, a paraphrase. When you try to leave, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, Emma wrecked, but she didn't bounce off the town line. She got scared by a wolf. 
When Cinderella tried to leave, we never saw how she crashed, only that she did crash. Something prevented her from crossing the town line. Yes, but that's how the curse worked, because an invisible barrier would have been pretty obvious. Yeah, ice wall, you get turned into a tree, you get mm-hmm. carried off by flying monkeys, all kinds of things. But, but then again, the original curse. Yeah, this barrier is not a result of the curse. No. So maybe that's why. This barrier is because of the evil queen put a barrier. It's very it might be what was there in season 2 after the curse was broken and magic returned, but I don't recall whether Regina put that one up or Rumpelstiltskin did. Yeah. Well, also look at what happened in season 4. <laughs> There was the wall of ice around the town. Yeah. And and that wasn't a result of a curse, but the wall is what prevented people from crossing the town line. So they probably could have crossed the town line, but something prevented it. A barrier that someone inside the town set up. That's what's happening here is it's just simply a barrier. My quibble was with their actual statement that this was just like the original curse. Yeah, that's true. And that the only way to do that was with ingredients from the vault. Which, well, that's not how the original curse was done. So that's all right. But, you know, less is more. Don't make statements you can't back up. (laughs) Seeing Hook offering his ship for Belle to stay in. And that conversation between them, I think it's like, yes, finally, we've seen this friendship between Belle and Hook before. And we've kind of pointed out that, uh, you know, he did shoot you. And he did do all of these mean things. He tried to kill you, and you're just, you're buddy-buddy with him now? I feel like as soon as they started trying to make Hook a hero, I I wouldn't let this go. And it was so long ago. Like, this is years overdue. I don't know why they felt the need to bring it up now when we'd all practically forgotten. I'm kind of glad they did. Maybe they just felt there was an elephant in the room every single time those two were together. Because some of us... Still think that was a little easily brushed aside. Well, looking at it this way, this season seems to be setting us up for exploring the darker side in everyone. Oh gosh, is that what you think? But <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't—I hadn't uh, quite put it that way. But in Hook, we've already done that. We've already seen his darker side, mm-hmm. his darker deeds, and in the last season when he became the Dark One. We saw that explored even more. So I I feel like there's no more darkness left to explore in Hook. (gasps) So how about instead of exploring Hook's darkness, we see him overcoming his darkness? What if that potion gets rained all over the town by a dirigible and it brings new meaning to the term we are both? What if everybody gets split? So it's like dropping a clone spell down on everyone. <laughs> yes. For a clash of clan fans. <laughs> and and a couple listeners just now are like, no way, you guys play Clash of Clan? <laughs> yes, Jeremy got me into it. <laughs> I will destroy your village and there will be no mercy. You know, there's a lot of similarity there between, <laughs> between that and Once Upon a Time. But we seriously digress. Mm-hmm. I love seeing this change in Hook, and I know we have been pretty critical of Hook in the past, and I I do think, for good reason, based on how he was at those times. This, as I see it, is very similar to Regina, is some good character development, this time on Hook, a character that we have kind of felt like was underdeveloped or 
oddly developed mm-hmm. or a lot of things brushed past. Now we see Hook overcoming that darkness, trying to make things right, apologizing, taking responsibility, not making excuses for things. And what separates him from Rumple is Rumple, yes, Rumple has apologized. Rumple has tried to make things right, but Rumple does not follow through. Rumple just takes what he wants. He's like Honey Badger. Whereas Hook, we see changing and lasting change. Mm-hmm. Rumple, we see him going right back to his thing. It's, it's the joke. I can quit. I've quit hundreds of times before. Yeah, that's yeah. what Rumple is doing. And, yep. and, and here in the end, Rumple is not quitting at all. He's just saying, no, this is who I am. Accept it. Deal with it. I am a dark one. I will always be using dark magic. I will always be a dark person. Which I'm genuinely curious for people who really, really love Rumpelstiltskin. Is this better or would leaving him dead after he died a hero have been better? Like, what do you think? (sighs) That's tough. That is very tough. And it's something that will probably... If theories are correct that Rumpel will sacrifice himself, it's something we'll have to explore later on in the season. But we've, we have already talked about it significantly. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of our fans that watch the show and listen to the podcast, both in the forums and in email, also really liked seeing Hook trying to make things right and, and confessing, repenting, trying to change. So while Hook is making things right with Belle, Evil Queen is making things awkward with Mr. Gold. I get the feeling they're going to have her do that a lot with a lot of people this year. Please don't. <laughs> Rewatching this episode, I do see a lot more innuendo. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking back to Evil Queen's character, yes, there's plenty of innuendo too. Not so much yeah. in Storybrooke when she was Evil yeah. Queen and Mayor, Mayor Evil Queen. <laughs> But um, back in Enchanted Forest, plenty of that innuendo that if you really look for it, you'll find it there. So I wouldn't say this is completely out of character for evil Queen Regina. And the way that Rumpel responds, I think, is in character for Rumpel and for Mr. Gold. But the whole flashback thing with Rumpel sniffing her neck and that awkward thing, (laughs) that was out of character for Rumpel. Yeah. So now... (laughs) Which is the most awkward scene ever in Once Upon a Time? Evil Queen hitting on Mr. Gold, Rumpelstiltskin sniffing Evil Queen's neck, and all of that weirdness, or Jiminy Cricket coming out of Snow White's shirt. (laughs) We've got this running list now of the most awkward things ever to happen on Once Upon a Time. I think it's still the Jiminy Cricket scene probably is the most awkward because this scene was intentionally awkward as well as the flashback scene, intentionally awkward. Jiminy Cricket thing, unintentionally awkward. That's one of those things like... It was kind of like they played it for laughs. You're like, do you understand what you just did? Yeah. I don't know if you do. Who let this one by? (laughs) (laughs) The the bobble, by the way, is another name for a coin or a trinket. Mm -hmm. Uh, But interestingly, it is a currency in the video game Path of Exile. Just odd little thing. Oh. Is Evil Queen going down the path of exile? I it's mean, a bit of a stretch, I know. Is the Evil Queen? Hmm. What is she? I don't understand That's what very she deep is. Question. 
she should go have a session with Archie. She was split off from a real person. She had her heart crushed and she's still alive. What is she? I don't think she's a real person. I think they can find a way to kill her and not have to worry about any of the trappings that they typically place upon people who kill people. Mm-hmm. I know in our forums over at oncepodcast.com slash forums, uh, a lot of people have also been grossed out from this. Uh, like AKA said, never saw it, don't like it, almost feels completely wrong. Uh, and Fee said, shudder, among other things. She said, yeah, just really weird. But when Henry and Regina find Charlotte's body, and also Eva Queen there, um, in the initial reactions, I said that Henry had his first curse. Well, no, he wasn't the one that cursed or cussed in this scene. It was actually Regina grunting out something. But did you catch a little season one throwback here with Regina saying, essentially, do you know what I do with things I don't need? I throw them away. That was in season one. She said that okay. to Sydney. And yep. here... Evil Queen was saying to Regina, basically, you threw me away because you didn't oh. need me. That's what Regina does. Yeah. I didn't catch it as a tie-in, but I suppose it is. How did Regina know who Charlotte was? Very good point. Or, or did she? She did because she said her name oh, yeah. later. At first I thought, well, she recognizes the poison. She doesn't know who this girl is, but she did know. And that doesn't make it much sense to me that in any way that I can figure out. Probably because she was spying on the Charmings through their mirrors. Oh. And so she could see that here is the guy she hired getting all creepy eye with this handmaiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, magic dampening spell. Why did we do the whole thing with the cuff for years if you could create a magic dampening spell? Yeah. Didn't we still see Regina poof to different places or magic? She was magicking around town still after that. Oh, it's just dampened. Incorrectly. Yeah. It's like when you're sick, you can still walk, but you can't talk normally or sing. Jacqueline raised a, a good question here. Does the evil queen have any sort of maternal feelings about Henry or are those located only inside Regina? Would the evil queen hurt Henry? Ah, that is a question that harkens back to questions from season one and questions from season two (laughs) related to whether Regina loved Henry. Because it seemed in the pilot in particular that there was an implication that Henry was stuck living with the evil queen and she didn't really love him. It was she was just selfish And then, of course, as characters developed, it kind of was more like, well, of course she loves him. She's just also evil. Mm -hmm. So maybe it could be said that just like Rumpel, love that she has for her son was not coming from the evil place, obviously. So evil queen is theoretically incapable of loving him. Mm. If she really is just the evil. Also, does she have a heart? Regina ripped it out and crushed it. But she also threatened to rip her heart out again. Uh, unless she doesn't, and it was all just a, a misguiding thing. Or maybe she ripped out the dragon's heart, and that's how she has a heart now. No. <laughs> oh, you, oh, no, we know what happens. 
somehow we know what happens when you put the wrong heart in the wrong person. <laughs> That's true. We have not truly we seen say? the evil queen. <laughs> Zombie Daniel. <laughs> yeah. When they start the fight at the docks with Edmund, uh, boy, great fighting skills from Regina. Regina does finally get that sword fight with Edmund, and boy, what a sword fight it was. We get to see, again, wow, Regina's really skilled with the sword. She seems pretty strong with the sword, too. Could she maybe be the hooded character? I think they are really setting it up that Regina is the hooded character, but they're going to swap that out and say, nah, nah, bait, switch. Nope, it's not Regina. I think they want us to think it's possible. I just, I hope that like other things that have come up in the show we we see it coming and we go oh no we're gonna deal with that for weeks and then it's all resolved in the next episode i hope that's what happens with this whole emma's afraid of regina thing because that to me isn't forward progress she should i mean her fears at least have to revolve around what's going to change because she should trust regina at this point mm-hmm. but and, and please don't go too far down the whole darkening the heart road because nobody understands that. And we've kind of been there before. Yes, but we did go there again in this episode. Now, watching the fight, think of how many opportunities she gave Edmund to turn from his ways, how many times she tried to convince him to stop. I think that third way, you know, that heroes always have or Mm -hmm. the other way, she did try that. She tried that even though that should never have worked. I don't even know how he was talking to them about all that. That's never been a thing. The people under control are under control. They're barely aware of it. They don't know what they're doing. Mm. Sometimes they're even speaking literally the words being whispered into the heart. They're not just like, I don't know. This works so differently every time they use it. I think we've seen enough times that someone has had their heart pulled out and is being controlled. But then there are those times when they go on autopilot. They start to run yeah. their own process as they normally would, but not recognizing that they're without a heart. I mean, think about Graham, for mm-hmm. example. During all of those first seven episodes of season one, Graham did not have his heart. Now, Regina wasn't actively controlling him right. until certain moments. Even then. Yeah. I feel like we've seen before a time when someone like summoned someone from with their heart but then gave them commands and the rest of the interaction happened with that person behaving as they normally would, not even knowing they were missing their heart. But that was in the reverse story by the author with Snow and Charming, yes? There was that time, yes, and there was something else that I can't quite remember uh, the details, but uh, I believe it happened inside the mayor's office. I don't recall this. There is a scene uh, where she's talking to Graham's heart in her office, the mayor is, from a previous season. So that's what I'm thinking of. Would it have been in Welcome to Storybrooke? That's probably Because the it. first time we saw Graham's heart in Storybrooke, she crushed it. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably the episode Welcome to Storybrooke. Yeah, and I, that makes that's, sense. That's why I was having a trouble remembering it is yeah. because I was thinking season one, but Welcome uh-huh. to Storybrooke, one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Uh, such a great episode. I yeah. feel like watching that episode. Let's again. do that. When this is over, let's watch that. <laughs> Here's another example of this too. When Merlin was being controlled by Arthur, Merlin was fighting against Emma and doing all these things, 
But Merlin was saying, Emma, stop, run. Or he was saying these things of his own control, but his actions were being controlled by someone else. And I think that's what's basically happening here as well with Edmund. Well, all right. If it's going to be a thing, that's fine. (laughs) But uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Regina didn't want to kill him, you know, short of saying, well, she should have been more skilled in just disabling him instead of killing him. What else could she have done? Yeah. yeah. Let's, I just hope they don't spend too much time on this because we've established that nobody thinks this is a good idea. A hero killing someone in defense of another is not murder, and it is not this heart-darkening thing. And Edmund even said when he was about to kill Snow and Charming, he said, this is the only way. Well, I think that was even true for Regina, that this was the only way. Mm-hmm. There will be those things, and, and I hope you never have to face this kind of thing in life. Right. But there will be possibly a time when you might have to hurt someone else uh, or even take someone else's life in order to protect someone else. It happens with the military, uh, with you know, all, all kinds of things around the world where there really isn't another way because the person just won't stop. I mean, think about it. If someone was coming after your child and the only way you could stop them was to harm them, possibly even take their life, would you? I I know it's a really tough, very deep philosophical, moral question. And it's exactly what Emma was facing with Cruella. Yeah. As far as she knew. Yeah. And so, I mean, looking at what happened here, I really don't think this is awakening any kind of darkness inside of Regina because she did offer him the opportunity. Now, when Regina faced Evil Queen right after this, yes, Evil Queen kind of pulled out some darkness from her. Well, sort of, but there again... It's one of those stupid, unprecedented things. She threatened someone, yeah, to rip out her heart. But it's the evil version of herself that she split off from herself to kill with the full endorsement of Snow and Emma. Like, she literally already did what she threatened, and everybody thought that was a good thing. So that's not darkness. She's trying to kill the evil version of herself. That's not darkness. We got the answer to a previous question in something small that Edmund said, and that was that Hyde, quote, plucked us, unquote, from the land of untold stories, and us, including Charlotte. So he and Charlotte were together, but the main point here that I think answers the question is Hyde plucked them. Yeah, yeah. So they did not come willingly. Hyde brought them. He he forced them, basically, to come. That's what I thought. And then there are all kinds of questions about how. Yeah, and why? Why did Hyde want to force these stories to come to Storybrooke and play out? I think Hyde wears a cloak sometimes and fights people with swords. That's what I think. (laughs) He is really strong. Yes, he is. And and speaking of fighting, if (laughs) I I couldn't tell looking at the fight scene how much of that was Lana Perea. Yeah. And how much of that was maybe a double. But if it was Lana Priya, probably the most physical acting she's ever done on this show. Maybe. And if so, really cool. She probably enjoyed that part, that the rolls and the spins and all of that. Re- everything about how they got to that moment aside, and there's a lot, but seeing Regina throw a sword and save the Charming's lives was pretty cool. 
I thought that was a pretty great moment. She just needed to say, hey, yeah. right before she threw the sword. But then, yeah. Yeah, like, she she threw it in his back. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't think he'd have turned around even if she had shouted, hey. And maybe that's why they decided not to do that because he can't fight the heart control, but he turns around when she yells, hey. That wouldn't make much sense. Yeah. Uh, not much more sense than two people being knocked unconscious by being whacked in the shoulder with some containers. And by the way, <laughs> which is probably not what, how it was supposed to look, but that is definitely how it looked to me. By the way, Sydney in our chat room does did confirm that it was Lana doing the nice. fights, and Lana did a Facebook Live showing her practicing <laughs> some of these fights. So that's awesome. First of all, really cool acting there, and mm-hmm. probably really fun. And secondly, that she Facebook Lived it, awesome. Hey, follow. And I'm sorry, we can't list everyone's social profiles. I tried to do that at one point. And it proved to be too difficult. But if you can, find the official accounts of your favorite cast members from the show, uh, whether that be in Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, anything like that. Follow them because many of them are sharing some really cool stuff. For example, Rebecca Mater, who plays Zelina, is on Snapchat. And she'll do some crazy things on there, some fun things. She'll often share things that are Wicked Witch of the West kind of themed. Uh, She'll tweet them also. So follow the favorite cast members you have on these social networks, watch out for their cool things that they do. And it's really cool that social networks and social media enables that kind of connection with the cast. Lots of fun. The Evil Queen said that everyone has stories they don't want played out. And apparently that's what's going to rip them apart. Again, I think really setting up for what this season will be about, exploring everyone's dark sides. Something, something, something dark side. And that will... I think give us a new perspective on everyone and I think bring more character development as well. It'll bring something. I hope that it's character development. I think it will be. Oh, I have another awkward moment to add to the list. That sing song taunt from Evil Queen. Am I the only one who thought that was just about as cringeworthy as hitting on Rumpelstiltskin? No, I, I think it was fun. No, I, <laughs> it was very Rumpelstiltskin, though. Yeah, that's why I was just going to say, not fitting her character all that much. If she, yeah, maybe if she'd had a long history of acting that way and we just expected it from her, that would be one thing. But it was so awkward for me. Mm-hmm. She was so close to them, too. She was backing away, but she just, she's standing there singing. And I don't, and I feel like everybody was like, why, why are you singing? I get that a lot personally. Now, about Regina and her battle with this supposed little darkness inside of her or something, Kelsey from <laughs> Louisiana has an interesting theory here. She said, in season one, the writers made a big point of telling us that whoever cast the dark curse would have a hole in themselves that would never be able to be filled. That is what Maleficent tells Regina when Regina goes to steal back the curse. Oh, yeah. This may be a figurative hole, as in having to kill the thing Regina loves most will leave a, quote, hole, unquote, in her heart. But what if the writers meant this more literally? If Regina really had a hole in herself that she could not fill, it would explain why she has been having trouble being a hero and why she ripped the evil queen from herself in a desperate attempt to do good. The hole in herself means that she was not a whole person even before she ripped herself into. So she could not be fully good or evil. I think to be truly a hero, Regina would have to reunite herself with the evil queen and also find a way to fill that hole inside of her. Maybe 
There is a reverse to the potion she drank to make herself never have a child. I think a child would bring meaning to Regina's life now that she does not have a true love or a soulmate. It seems like the writers completely forgot about this consequence of casting the curse, but I think it would be great writing if they brought it back, especially since season six is mirroring season one. I think it would be interesting to address that. I don't know if bringing what is supposed to be literally the evil that was in her back is an answer to filling a void. And I think a lot of people would probably have a problem with her suddenly needing to have a child, especially since she already has a child. And the thing about having a child, too, that's not the only way to express love. You can love someone without them being blood relations. And we've talked about this before. Adoption is an incredibly beautiful thing to say, you know, here is someone who is not of my own blood but I am going to love them as if they are. Love is really a choice and a hole in your heart that can be filled by love can be filled by love for someone that's not of blood or that you're not married to. It could be a non-romantic love. It could be a non-blood love. No blood magic has to go in to (laughs) filling that hole. Now, the other side of this that I think should be considered is that hole in her heart could have been something that was kind of filled or undone when the curse was broken Mm -hmm. because yes casting the curse might have created that hole in her heart but when emma broke the curse that might have undone the hole because after all look at regina's love for henry Mm -hmm. and yes she said she loved henry in season one and emma kind of doubted that in the beginning of season one but look at how she loved henry after the curse was broken Mm -hmm. a much deeper much more real love yeah well i i think maleficent's words are probably going to be in for me in the category of the final battle (laughs) maybe something said poetically in season one that is taken far too literally outward toward season six (laughs) possibly and i really want to see that final battle though because in the context that that was said they were talking about i believe I believe Maleficent understood that she would have to sacrifice the thing she loved most. Mm-hmm. And she was speaking from her own personal experience as to what that would feel like. When everyone's back at Granny's, since obviously that's what you do after a great yeah. sword fight, it works up an appetite. The ladies are there talking and, and they have this great conversation about the stories that they don't want to be told. Mm-hmm. And Emma flashes on her current story that she desperately needs to tell them. To help keep everyone from being ripped apart. But no, no, she just hides the tremor and it would have been a perfect time. Henry mentions the best sequels ever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Empire Strikes Back in a lot of lists is one of the best sequels ever. A Godfather 2, also among some of the best sequels ever. The Temple of Doom? Which what? is what? The sequel, uh, Indiana Jones. It's okay, the second Indiana Jones movie. Really? Probably that's one not. of the best sequels ever. I don't know. That's probably the writer's favorite sequel. It could maybe be simply a Disney thing because Disney now owns Lucas Films, and Lucas Films is who made Indiana Jones. Oh. So maybe they wanted to throw in one of the popular epic franchise movies that have been out. Or maybe it's it's the writer's favorite sequel. Inside joke, probably. Yeah, could be. I feel though like people who have 
been through what these people have been through would not appreciate a movie night. I could be wrong. I have not lived over 300 years and had to recover from most of that time being spent on revenge. And and let's not even bother to list all the other things that Hook in particular, but also Charming, have been through. But do you think a movie would be, you know, like on a little screen would be at all interesting? <laughs> Maybe that's how the, the show will finish. Instead of everyone going fishing, because that's a great way to end a series, <laughs> they'll all sit down and watch the Disney movies. Maybe. Maybe they'll just play poker. Yes, that could happen too. It's also a good way for a series to end. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. <laughs> now, you mentioned Hook and David. There's this little moment where David sees the envelope and then opens it and everything. I think Hook can tell something is going on wrong. Hook and David have this great friendship, and they're they're very much kind of like brothers, even though they're also kind of like in-laws since... Hook right. is dating David's daughter. Yes. But still, they're kind of buddy-buddy. I think Hook can tell that something's not quite right with David. And I think we'll see that. Maybe Hook will be able to help David overcome the darkness he's about to be faced with. Do you suppose that these untold stories, like apparently David's, are in volume two? Because right as that's all happening, Henry's saying... They need to know what people's stories are before they know how to help them, which kind of sets up this whole season to be just like Henry was trying to help people in the underworld, sitting at Granny's with a book, looking at their stories, getting them their happy endings, or telling them their unfinished business, rather. Now, he thought he needed to help people with their untold stories, but he realized something's already gone wrong because he didn't know how that story was supposed to end and it didn't happen the way it was supposed to. So they need to fig- he needs to figure out what they're running from. But if So that makes it feel like it's going to be all about these newcomers, but if the untold stories that we're going to focus on are often our central characters like David, does that mean those stories are somehow touched on in volume two? I think the stories interact and maybe that's why Hyde plucked all of these people that he did is all of their stories somehow interact with our hero stories in some way that brings out the darkness in them. Oh, so it's almost as if Hyde cast a curse that would seem to be everybody in the land of untold stories, but turns out to just be specific people that he brought because he wanted them in Storybrooke? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Charming's dad's death, maybe not an accident? Okay. Here's a theory that came in from... uh, (laughs) Kristen. Do you think he's really dead? (laughs) Because if he's dead, I think it would be terrific news that he did not die in a cart accident. (laughs) Yeah. Terrific. David very clearly had to pronounce the T in that cart accident. Right. Uh, I wonder how many takes it sounded like car accident. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. He did really hit that T. Yeah. Uh, Kristen S. sent in this theory, a clever one, I think, here, especially considering that clever Hook girl. and Charming are buddy-buddy. Buddy-buddy, buddy. is said, that your new hashtag buddy-buddy? Yeah. Kristen <laughs> said, what if Hook is actually the person who is responsible for the death of Charming's father? We know that wah, Father wah. Charming was an alcoholic and would have spent time in taverns drinking and gambling. We also know that Hook, who is likely to be one of the few people in Storybrooke old enough for this theory to work spent a lot of time in taverns drinking and gambling. 
Hook would not have known that it's Charming's father and likely still doesn't. His conversation with Bell on the Jolly Roger confirms that Killian laments a lot of his past actions, and while he is continuing down a redemptive path, there are still a lot of skeletons in his closet that he has a hard time dealing with. Perhaps this is a foreshadowing to that storyline down the road. I think that makes a lot of sense. I totally agree. And it makes that that would be the missing piece because I already questioned why now? Why dredge up the past with Bell now? Mm-hmm. Remind us that he even has a past, especially if you're a new viewer. There it is. Now, in the forums, Fee suggested maybe it's someone else. Fee said, whether or not he's actually the one who did the killing, I've no doubt that Rumple is the one who arranged for Charming's father to end up dead. Which, my side note here, I think that makes a lot of sense because Rumple is the one who got David's brother, James, into King George's possession. So maybe in order for that to happen, Rumple had to cause something to happen or... Uh, the the father was involved in that whole exchange. So maybe Mm -hmm. David's father wanted to undo that and made some kind of threat or something. And then that's when Rumpel decided, eh, you know, off with his head. (laughs) So continuing with Fee's feedback here. Like he said to the Count, he needs Snow and Charming a wife and together and procreating. So looking back, Rumpel needed Charming's father to Mm. die so that when the family farm went downhill, the only person there with any way to save it would be charming making the deal with rumple to go to be a replacement prince and end up meeting snow who knows how successful that farm could have been if there had been two able-bodied men on hand to work it so dad had to die Uh, the only problem with that theory is that rumple didn't have that clear a vision of the future in general so he would have That might be a little too specific. Well, he knew enough of the future to know that Snow White was extremely ironic for Cora to say that brides must always be Snow White. Yes, that's true. But he didn't know who was going to cast the curse at certain points. He had some confusion about that. Yeah. Now going to Zelina and Evil Queen, or the evil babysitter there, Every time I watch these interactions between Zelina and the Evil Queen, I, I feel like I flip sides on Zelina. Uh-huh. On my latest viewing, I feel like Zelina actually wants Regina to be her sister, not the Evil Queen, and she's kind of realizing that. Yeah, didn't that feel kind of thick? Yeah. For her to not realize Evil Queen was talking about herself all that time? Yeah. I thought that was apparent. Like, I didn't even think that was supposed to be ambiguous. And all of a sudden, Zelina's like, all this time you meant you, not her. Like, you thought that something about the things Evil Queen's going to help you do or you're going to help her do was going to turn Regina into a sister who understands you. I don't, or a sister like you even, she said. I I, I thought that was pretty plain myself. And yet, Zelina does look very rewarded when evil queen says something like unlike my sister i will never doubt you again right which sure (laughs) now back to archie's and this is the last scene when emma is seeing him a funny thing i think we learned from this is that bashful goes to see archie too 
I think it would have been even more funny if it was Dopey that goes to see Archie. <laughs> Why would that be funnier, huh? Well, it wouldn't really fit with what they said because Archie did say that Bashful likes to talk about current events before he starts his <laughs> session, which, by the way, patient uh, privilege, uh, client privilege, you know, where's that confidentiality oh, there, Archie? Yeah. But they set it up still for this idea of it's maybe the evil queen or it's Regina in the hood. But I really think maybe it's, it's a red herring. Bashful. Yeah, it's you, dopey. You learned about my sessions with Archie. I mean, what is stronger than a tree? You know, <laughs> dopey. It could be dopey inside of that hood. Huh. Well, yes. I wasn't thrilled with the questioning of Regina, as I've already said. And Jacqueline also thinks that it's pretty clear that Regina or the Evil Queen are not under the hood based on how many little red herrings there are and all of the little twists that Kitsis and Horowitz like to put in. But do we have to go through weeks of Emma doubting Regina at key moments and pushing her away and creating conflict and then they're yelling at each other and they're enemies and then something brings them back together like a common enemy but Emma still doesn't trust her and she's still afraid and like do we have to do that or will it all get sort of like resolved next week which sometimes with the show when we're afraid something's going to be dragged out it's not so there is that mercy yeah Kelsey from Louisiana added this I also don't think it's Regina or the evil queen under the hood that kills Emma. Neither of them would be caught dead in those ugly boots or hood. (laughs) Also, because the writers told us that Emma thinks it is Regina, it means it is someone else because they're trying to trick us. And by the way, Kelsey also added, thanks so much for this awesome podcast. I've been listening since season one, and I sometimes enjoy the podcast more than the show. I really appreciate the Christian views of the show and the family friendliness. It's really hard these days to find a good show like this. Keep up the good work, everyone. Thank you. And I know I get a lot of uh, kickback, some hate, some attacks, even on my sharing my faith authentically like I do. Mm -hmm. But everyone does leak their worldview. And so it is really encouraging (laughs) to receive uh, a thanks like this from someone because I know there are plenty of other and I will say other good podcasts about Once Upon a Time and your other favorite TV shows that don't align with my own personal worldview. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm not going to say, hey, if you don't like us, go listen to one of the others. But I, what I am saying is there are plenty of others, and I don't feel like it's my job to preach. And I, there are certainly plenty of opportunities that I could preach inside the podcast, but I only let that stuff leak out when I think it's it's really worth leaking out. But I'm glad that, <laughs> that, like that. many people do appreciate it and i do get those feedback Um, sometimes they're publicly in itunes reviews sometimes they're privately and i can understand some people would want to send something privately when they're concerned about receiving attacks themselves and yes the Mm -hmm. attacks can sometimes be quite brutal when you're open about your faith uh, Mm -hmm. these days you know another reason though that it's not selena or regina They didn't throw Emma through the clock tower face. (laughs) In fact, you know who else wasn't visible in the vision? The clock tower. You know who I think is under that cloak? The embodiment of the clock tower. The clock tower, because the clock tower needs its revenge after being crushed so many times. I don't know why that falls on Emma, but you know, it's not, it's a clock tower. It doesn't necessarily know exactly what it's doing. Save the clock tower. I mean, 
realistically, hasn't the clock tower been damaged every season? Maybe. Except maybe the first season. It was enveloped with purple smoke True, at the beginning the of the first season. season. It wasn't damaged, though, by that. We need a montage. <laughs> it'll be short, but it'll be there. A montage of clock tower damages. Yes. Oh, and look, listener, this is your job to do. You go make this <laughs> montage, uh, share it, upload it on YouTube, or you can send it directly to us, and we'll upload it to YouTube for you. But we'd love to see this montage of how many times the clock tower has been destroyed. The first one was really sad. I forget her name. It was Queen Ava's handmaiden the first time, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. I and believe so. We've seen Zelina thrown through. We've seen... Uh, you know, countless people thrown through Regina, thrown through <laughs> the other way, through uh, that clock tower. Poor clock tower. Well, speaking of clocks, <laughs> it's time for us to wrap this up. Please remember to send us your feedback for upcoming episodes. But if you'd like to continue the conversation about this episode of Once Upon a Time, you can comment on the show notes and share this episode out with your friends by going to oncepodcast.com slash 260 or Go to our forums over at oncepodcast.com slash forums where you can discuss any episode of the podcast. There are sections where you can discuss spoilers, you can discuss non-spoilers, you can theorize, you can comment on old theories, you can chime in on the classic shipping debates, all kinds of other discussions, fun discussions, even off-topic discussions. If you just want to belong to a community of other like-minded TV show viewers, Check it out at oncepodcast.com slash forums. It is completely free to join, by the way. I'm not trying to sell you something here, but it is free to join. And we'd love to have you part of the community. And if you want to send us your feedback for upcoming episodes, then send that through the website or any of the other contact methods we share. They're all on the website at oncepodcast.com. Please connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. Special thanks to our whole team of volunteers who help make this podcast possible episode after episode. Thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and my co-hosts Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, when your stories finally play out, I'll just sit back and watch you tear yourselves apart (laughs) and thanks for listening Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be awesome and have the keys to the universe, no guarantee, and be incredible and all kinds of amazing things, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 603, The Other Shoe. 
As Storybrooke continues to welcome the new arrivals from the land of untold stories, families, friends, and even long-lost enemies are reunited once again. When Ashley, Cinderella, searches for her stepfamily, intent on settling their unfinished business, Emma, Hook, and Henry scramble to help her before it's too late. Meanwhile, Regina attempts to bribe Mr. Hyde for information about how to defeat the evil queen, and Snow helps Dr. Jekyll find a suitable laboratory for his work. David makes a deal with Gold and delivers a message to Belle in exchange for new information about his father. In flashback, Cinderella attends a ball and meets her prince. This episode is written by Jane Epsonson and Jerome Schwartz and directed by Steve Perlman. Yeah, so this is going to be the episode where we finally get to see Cinderella again after quite a while. Yeah. Well, in their lifetime, like days, but... Right. (laughs) But we do have a whole host of guest stars. Yes. So, of course, we have Jesse Schramm back as Ashley slash Cinderella. Raphael Sabarge is going to be joining us again as Dr. Archie Hopper. Lee Ehrenberg as Grumpy. David Anders is appearing in this episode as Dr. Whale slash Dr. Frankenstein. So. I'm really hoping for a Dr. Frankenstein meeting Dr. Jekyll kind of scene. I think that would be really hilarious. Ingrid Torrance as Nurse Ratchet. Does she ever talk? Um, Like, I feel like we always see her name, but I never see her talk. I know. I Like, I know she talked in her very first appearance back in season one, but she mostly just kind of gets distracted so somebody can break into the cell. <laughs> Peter Marson as the chief, Tim Phillips as Prince Thomas, who is Ashley's uh, husband, Lisa Baines as Lady Tremaine, McKenna Melvin as Clorinda, Goldie Hoffman as... Tysby? Tysby? I don't know. Those are the stepsisters. They are. And What happened to Anastasia and Drusella? Well, who knows? But yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, None of those stepsisters are named Anastasia. So I think that for the Once Wonderland fans out there, they are going to completely skip over the fact that Anastasia was one of Cinderella's stepsisters. Yeah. <laughs> like they hinted at that very, very strongly back in Wonderland. So I think they're going to just move past it. We also have Max Lloyd-Jones as Jacob. Jared Joseph as Gus. And he's back. This is the Gus Gus from Gus Gus. Yeah. Uh Nobody knew he was around, so that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, like I was online, like checking to make sure it was the guy that played Gus Gus from the beginning, from the first episodes. Yeah, it's and I'm definitely like, him. It is him. It's him. Hank Harris as Doctor Jekyll and Sam Witwer as Mister Hyde. Yay! So this looks like it's going to be a fun episode. This is one I'm looking forward to because we. We know Cinderella from long ago. Of course, she's an iconic Disney character. It'll be good to see something that is very, very classic fairy tale, Cinderella meeting her prince. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to see their interpretation of this. Okay, so we did get a promo. We did. And there was a lot that showed in that 30-second clip. (laughs) Right. Unlike last week where it felt like we got nothing in the promo, this week we actually got quite a bit. So it opens up with the ball and Cinderella dancing in her blue dress. And you see the stepsisters. And Lady Tremaine says, do you really think he would choose you over her? As the prince gives some other girl a rose. So I don't know what that whole storyline's about. But it's probably like, oh, I have to give everyone a rose I dance with or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you see the glass slipper, of course, sitting on the stair because it's Cinderella. And you have to see that. Of course. But then they have the best edit ever. (laughs) 
And I hope it's like this in the episode, because the next thing you see is Ashley in Storybrooke with a gun pointing and cocking the shotgun. Yeah, it's it's quite funny to see. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. Like, she's running. Oh, she's a sweet little princess. Right. She's got a gun. <laughs> and okay, so Emma, of course, is talking with the prince who has their little girl. It's so cute. And she goes, do you really think that she is going to kill her stepsister? And you see the glass slipper shatter. Yeah. So I, this looks really good. Like, I'm so excited for this. Cinderella maybe has some homicidal tendencies. But I don't understand why she'd want to kill her stepsister, because wasn't it her stepmother that kept her locked up? And I hope we see why she wants to kill her. Yes. Um, I would probably be going after the stepmother myself. But Yeah, Lady Tremaine. Yeah. I guess we'll have to see. I wonder if we'll see Lucifer in this episode. The cat. The cat. Hopefully. Because, I mean, <laughs> we've got Gus Gus back, so you got to have Lucifer. Okay, so, but that's not the end of the promo, because, no, no there's more. So, we see the evil queen, not um, Regina. She is evil queen, because I believe this is when she's in her blue outfit. Yeah. And she looks like she's enjoying herself on the docks a little too much. She was, like, spinning. She looked so happy. I know. <laughs> And of course, we also see Aladdin and Jasmine, and it's the same scene we've been seeing where he like picks her up, spins her around, and but I don't think they're going to be in this episode. They're not. I think- yeah, Jasmine's first episode isn't until next week, which is episode four. Yeah, they're just but- going to keep putting Aladdin and Jasmine into every <laughs> single promo. <laughs> so- I think so because they're not on the guest list, so- right? So, yeah. So, should we move on to photos? Yeah, we got a lot of photos, and I'm starting to think that ABC is listening to Hunter and I. <laughs> because let me tell you, the photos from last week, in case you didn't pay attention, so we had all these photos from last week from a scene that lasted like five seconds. Yeah. I was so disappointed when I saw that. Right. And we haven't had any really like flashback photos, nothing that would give any kind of hint about that. And then this week, we finally got multiple scenes and we got flashback stills. So thank you, ABC. Thank you. So we got a lot. We did. We've got the first few are of Henry and he's learning to fence with a stick. Yes. (laughs) Um, And his teacher is a wonderful fencer. Yeah, it's Captain Hook. And Emma is sort of, I think, there with them and she's holding a shoe which is hilarious since it's a Cinderella episode. Yeah, and they're like tealish blue shoes. So So it looks like Henry and Hook are having fun. (laughs) Yes. And then we get a number of photos of the evil queen. Looking happy. In her really gorgeous blue dress. I love this gown. Yes. And she just looks absolutely thrilled with herself for whatever reason. I don't know why, though. We got it. That should be interesting. And, you know, we do have some of Henry, Emma, and Hook looking concerned. So they've probably learned that the evil queen has some sort of plan dealing with Cinderella. And then we have some photos of Ashley with a shotgun. Yeah. Which is just hilarious. Yeah. And then we finally have flashback photos. So the flashback photos feature the invitation to the ball. We see Lady Tremaine and the two stepsisters and Cinderella all outside their cottage. It looks like they're getting the invite to the ball by the prince. The costumes for Lady Tremaine and the two stepsisters are about what you would expect. Lady Tremaine is kind of in this very dark, severe gown. And the stepsisters just look like they're wearing absolutely ridiculous wallpaper. It kind of looks like the ones from um, the new Cinderella movie. 
Yes. Like they would fit in with that. The live action one that came out a few years ago. Yeah. I thought so too. And then Cinderella is in her very dirty, ugly, raggedy, soot filled clothes. And she looks yes. miserable. Well, of course, because she's Cinderella. Right. So it looks like they're going very traditional here. They are. The tricorner hat. Was that Prince? I couldn't Thomas? tell because you couldn't get a good enough look. And it's been a while since we've seen Prince Thomas. And I'm sorry, but that hat reminds me of pirates instead of a prince. Ah, uh, yeah. Or like the colonial times. Mm-hmm. Like um, when What's-His-Face was running through the sh- riding through the streets of Boston. Paul one Revere. of Revere. Yeah. yeah. But if that is him, he does not look very cute there. <laughs> I think he's a very cute prince, but he does not look very cute there. Maybe it's the <laughs> prince's servant or something. <laughs> Maybe. All right. We did get a script tease for Yay! this week. And who do you want to be? Do you want to be Snow White or Cinderella? I'll be Cinderella. All right. I'll be Snow White. It's okay. Really. I'm Snow White. Ella. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, these these script teases are hilarious. Yeah, they're just so riveting, and they give so much information. So we're going to move on to episode 608. We got some uh, awesome photos. We did. We see quite a few of Aladdin and Jasmine in Storybrooke. Yes. And the one thing that really stands out is the object Aladdin is holding. Yes, he has the lamp. He does have the lamp. And Are you a fan of their ship name? Jaladin, yeah i i mean i guess it's about as creative as we can get i'm sure there are better ones out there but yeah that's what they're going by is Jaladin. i don't know it just sounds like something i don't know what it sounds like but it doesn't sound like it should be a ship name i don't know it's not a fan <laughs> of me i'm not a fan of it okay we'll have but, to come up with a different one yeah we see Belle also she's walking around and it said that it was rehearsal but she has this gorgeous dress on and i really hope that's our costume it was a really, really cute dress. You know it's girls talking because we're talking clothes here, guys. <laughs> I mean, all the other people were there as well. Hook, Emma, that kind of stuff. But something that was really surprising was the evil queen is still around. Yeah. Because we had kind of predicted based on episode titles and when we maybe thought the first half of the season was going to wrap up that the evil queen would be gone by about episode seven. But it looks like she's sticking around for much longer. Yeah. Unless Regina's dressed up like the Evil Queen, like they got rid of her and she's just dressing up like the Evil Queen to like get people to listen to her. Oh, possible. 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 But Doc was there too. Yep. So it's not just Grumpy, the dwarf who's sticking around. Some of the other dwarves are coming back. And then there was a tweet sent out by Sean McGuire. So if you listen to our spoiler section last week, we had a really long conversation about the fact that Sean McGuire is coming back to the show as a guest star for a multi-episode arc. And no one really knows what this means. But then he sent out this tweet that was pretty cryptic. And he said, excited to head back to once upon a time, but how, why, dead or alive, we'll see. Hashtag hoodies. Yeah. It's that last doesn't part. Help us. No, it's that last part, the dead or alive, that uh, I find a little disconcerting because they keep saying that he's not coming back to life, that, you know, dead is dead for Robin. But if he's the mirror, technically he's alive and talking. Right. He's, he's just not physically there. Yeah. So 
So he's dead, but he's also alive. I haven't seen him on set, which makes me think that he's probably doing a lot of indoor work, which would, if he was the magic mirror, if that theory is coming true, then he would be required to be on a green screen. Yes. So that might be why we haven't seen him yet. Yeah. Only time will tell. Yeah. I don't know if he's back on set yet. Has he been seen around Steveston lately? No. Okay. Because they would probably do the green screen work there, not instead of like LA. Right, right. We did get another episode title. Yes, 609. And this is called Changelings, and it's written by David H. Goodman and Brian Writings, and he is a new writer. Okay, I was going to say, I'm not used to typing that name out. Yeah, um, I believe he was, he's been working on Once Upon a Time for a couple years as something completely different, like a script editor or something. So I don't know if he just got a random promotion or what, but yeah, he Or he had a great idea and they like it. Right. Including making up words. (laughs) But he is a new writer. Um, A changeling, usually in mythology, is some sort of like replacement baby. Usually you hear about fairies or evil creatures coming and they steal away a human baby and they replace it with another. So who knows what that has to do with anything (laughs) on this show? I don't even know. I don't know. And then finally, just a bit of an update about scheduling it. According to Adam on Twitter, they are going to have the first half of this season be 10 episodes before we go on winter break. I don't know how long winter break is going to be, though. It could be as little as a month. It could technically still be three months. It's just the storytelling aspect that is going to be more reminiscent of season one and season two. But I have no idea how that plays into scheduling. Yeah, and they haven't told us anything yet either. Yeah. Come on, ABC, let us know. We have to plan our lives. Right. (laughs) So probably eight straight episodes, and then we get a week off for the American Music Awards like we always do. And then probably two more episodes and then a winter break, but no idea how long winter break's going to be. Okay. Not too much today. Back to our normal schedules. Yeah. So you don't have to listen to us for an hour. And no hour-long spoiler (laughs) podcasts. (laughs) But that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers. 